Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Monday. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small, and let's go ahead and get a couple things out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket, but if you want to do something nice, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. A little bit of a sad week this week. We lost a pretty historical figure in hockey history. John Ziegler passed away on Friday. He was a very influential guy in the National Hockey League. He started as a attorney for the Detroit Red Wings and worked there throughout the 70s and eventually became the president after Clarence Campbell resigned of the National Hockey League. He quarterbacked the merger between them and the WHA. That was no easy task because a lot of teams in the NHL did not want to merge with the WHA, especially the teams in Canada. The Canadian teams in the National Hockey League at the time did not want to share their lucrative television contracts with any incoming clubs from the WHA. But he was able to power through it, and then he was also there at the beginning of Southern Expansion. So very sorry to see that John passed away. Definitely one of those uh, hockey figures that had a huge impact on the game and on the National Hockey League. This week, we got an awesome show lined up. We have a great interview with Chris Felix. Chris played in the NHL during the early 90s, and I love this guy's personality. He's the type of guy you just want to go have a beer with and hang out with. Played for the Washington Capitals after a stint with the Canadian Olympic team. And I actually think if Chris wanted to, from watching him play over the years and from talking to him, he probably could have had a much longer NHL career. But I think he was pretty content. I think he was pretty happy. You know, he had a great career. He ended up playing like 14 years in Europe and in the American League. It just, with the NHL, he even talks about it in the interview. It was never really, not necessarily his dream, but it was never really something he envisioned. It was just, okay, I'm going to go to the next step. Okay, I'm going to go to the next step. And he just kind of went with it. And it sounds awesome. It, It sounded like he had a great career and had a lot of fun. I think you'll enjoy this. And that's the point of this podcast. I want people to know who these former players are that maybe you don't hear about every day. We do talk about a lot of guys from the Washington Capitals in the early 90s. The Capitals went on a tour with the Calgary Flames as well. Both teams were selected uh, in 1989, I believe it was, by the NHL to go represent the National Hockey League overseas and play a couple games in Sweden and play a couple games in the Soviet Union. At the time, the Iron Curtain was still down, so it was very, very rare for anybody to go to the Soviet Union, let alone an NHL team. In fact, I don't think that had happened since the Canada Cup um, a couple years before. So he tells us all about the Soviet Union. He talks about Hall of Famers Rod Langway, Scott Stevens gives us his opinion on uh, hockey in Europe versus hockey in the United States. A real interesting interview. Be sure, though, to check out part two of this interview. He tells a hilarious story about the Washington Capitals' wives in the KGB. Pretty funny stuff, and I think it is a uh, pretty good story. So definitely make sure that you tune in. That'll be released at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning. That's all I've got, so I've yapped enough. Check out the interview, and we'll catch you on the flip side. You played on the Canadian Olympic team. I actually talked to Claude Vilgrain a few weeks ago. Yes. What made you choose the Capitals? Uh, I didn't really choose the Capitals. The Capitals chose, chose me. And one of the other, um, Sam McMaster, who was my GM in, with the Greyhounds for four years, joined Washington as one of their scouts. So I had almost like a double people rooting for me and, and he recommended to them that I'd be a good fit for them, and, and that's how it all turned out. 
You play about 20 games for him, and then you head into the offseason. When did you find out about that this tour was taking place and that you were going to be heading to Europe? Probably right like at the beginning of, at the beginning of camp because then they needed some information about who was going to go and you, you know you're allowed to bring one person uh your your wife your father your mother whoever it was going to be so all the proper documents and passport stuff had to be had to be done and and and, and that's that's how that took place and uh, it was actually really exciting because then at least you knew you were closer to let's say making the team or you were you were really considered compared to the you know maybe the 30 or 40 guys that, that was left off of that tour which which was uh, really nice before before it actually took place so about half the guys were going to go on this tour and then the other half were going to stay back in Columbia Maryland Correct. Finding out that you were going on the European tour, that to you was an indication that, hey, I'm, I got a better shot at making this team or starting out of camp than I than I maybe I thought? Yeah, 100%. It, you know, you can use it like a, a car salesman. They're going to tell you what they want you to hear and yep. what you got to do and what everything like that. And But then then to be able to to actually go with the team and you're you're that close to, I don't know the word, to making it, 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 was, it was excellent. Yeah. Do you, do you have any idea how this tour even came about? I think Alan Eagleson might have been involved. This was really a new thing because it's not like today. The Soviet Union was still in force and the Iron Curtain was still there. How did this even come about? Uh, I think the NHL was trying to promote a little bit uh, into the Europe scene and 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 try and uh, get a little bit of like the old days, the, the, the Canada Cup back in the day. And I was surprised that we'd won the Patrick division, Calgary had won their division, and they were going to choose two teams to uh, to go and do this tour. Which, uh, which at the end of the day, it was amazing. It was great to uh, it was great to go. It was great to see everything and and be able to be a part of it was was fantastic. The Capitals of the prior year get eliminated by the Flyers in the playoffs on May third. Though the Washington Post reports that Brian Murray has signed a two year extension. He'd been with the team since 81, which it's kind of crazy. You think about a coach being with a team, especially nowadays, for more than three or four years. He'd been with them for eight years. What was Brian like? Uh, I, I enjoyed Brian. Brian was uh, considered a little bit of a, a player's coach. Uh, he, he demanded a little bit of accountability. He wanted you to perform to the best. And and I enjoyed playing for him. I, I really liked it. I played for Dave King. Dave King was a very X's and O's European studied the game of hockey very, very much. Brian was a player's coach. You're not going to win every game. You're not going to do that, but I do expect the effort, and I expect, again, accountability. You run into a hot goalie some night, you're not going to win. I don't. It doesn't matter who was on your team. But as you went out and gave the best you did, and, and you can say, hey, that's all I've got, then, then it was acceptable. And, and, and you wanted to play for Brian. That's that's another thing. Dave King, a great guy, but he always had the – he pushed for you should have done better, you should have done that. Well, you were, we're all human, and we, we did the best we can, and you made a decision on, yeah, should I go left, should I go right? And you, you, you decided to pick what you thought was going to be the right situation. Sometimes it was right, sometimes it wasn't, and, and, and things happened. So I, I enjoyed playing for Brian. It's something I've never understood when you get these hard-ass coaches that come in and they just basically, and even, you know, you look in the real world working, they just bust your balls uh, if you have yeah. a boss or something. I'm with you. I've always liked the, the player's coach, and it sounds like you did as well. Yes. March 4th, 1990, the Associated Press reports that a young gun out of the Soviet Union named Alexander Mogilny has defected from the world championships. Viktor Tikhonov stated that the defection was disgusting. A few days later, he arrives in Buffalo. The Sabres owned his rights, and the rest is kind of history. Was the McGillney defection a big deal? 
Um, in, in, in terms for, for myself personally or in terms of the league? In terms of the league. I, I, th- I would figure for you it probably was business as normal. But for the league, was that a huge thing? That, that's a tough call. Uh, huge for the league. It's good for the league. Uh, but more or less, it was great for for the for the Russians to be able to experience that. To rewind the tape, I'm with these guys in in 1988. Prior to all uh, before the Washington time, I became good friends with Igor Larionov. I knew the the KLM line very well. These guys were were exceptional players. They lived. They played hockey for their life, not for how we play it for a, a new boat a new car for monetary things these guys played for a way life. when you play for the national team in russia you got treated very well you had the better food you had better clothes you had a, a better lifestyle not like today or, or back then in the national hockey league where you're trying to make a million dollars so you can buy yourself a new porsche so by them coming over and opening up the the free trade i i think i think it was great more for them and and let's face it that some they're very skilled players and, and improved the national hockey league as it is today were people at times scared that they were coming over because i mean that means less jobs for you guys well in terms of that uh scared yeah they are gonna they are gonna to make take some jobs away from us but it could have been the canadians coming an american coming a swede finn czech it doesn't matter you're there to it's a business you you play to the best of your ability and you make the team it doesn't matter what nationality or country you're from it's a business you got you want to put a good product on the ice and that's how it's going to be speaking of competition the washington capitals do not resign pete peters he's picked up by the philadelphia flyers there's a competition for the goaltending position. The Caps go on to draft Byron Defoe and Ole Kolzik, and they have Beaupre. He's kind of in limbo. What was the goalie situation like? Do you recall that at all? Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, actually, all three of them, were, uh, when Donnie came over, he was down in Baltimore with us too. A great goalie. Now he's got NHL experience. He's played. He's, he's in limbo with his contract, trying to get another shot back at pro. Uh, a, a great person. The two young guys come in. And they're very excited. Ole was your, your sort of six foot four goalie. Byron was your small uh, Felix Potvin kind of a, a style goalie. Both very good. And at that time, they, they we had enough competition for somebody to step up and let's say take the bull by the horns. And whoever wants to to be that starting goalie, yeah, you know, have at it. And both goalies went on to have awesome careers. And Beaupre ended up sticking around for another four or five years. Yes. You yes. came off uh, 20 plus games with the Capitals, and we might have touched on this before. Going into this camp, what were your expectations for the season? Well, I, I was excited, but uh, after looking back and understanding and being a little older and all that, I, pretty much I was the best insurance for the Washington Capitals. I, If I'm going to blow my own horn, I was, I was their number one defenseman down in Baltimore. So as soon as one of the six got hurt, I was the first guy called up, which I, I really liked. Now, if I go to if I go to Washington and say, "Hey, I want to be traded," well, they can they can do whatever they want. They can they can they can ask for too much, so therefore, I'm not going to be traded. And it's not it's not wise for them to trade me because I'm in the best insurance policy that they have. I can play in the league. I can I can fit in any position, but uh, but it's not at that time. They had the Fab Four, they which was uh, Steve. Bins, Langway, Hatcher, and Murphy. So it's pretty tough to crack that. Neil Sheehy's your fifth defenseman. He's a fighter. I'm not a fighter, so I can't take his spot. And then uh, the young Cal Johansson comes from Sweden, the first rounder. Well, obviously, he's going to get an honest look and turned out to be a great player. So it was very tough for myself to crack a lineup 
that strong. Uh, go back to the Edmonton Oilers days. If you were, uh, let's say, a centerman, you're not taking Gretzky, Messier, uh, those, those guys' spot. You'd be better off to go to a, a weaker team where you got an opportunity to crack the lineup. So in Washington, with their, they were so strong on D, it, it, was, it was pretty tough. Did you at ever any point request a trade over your career? I pretty much went as is. I never asked for a trade. I, I, I was happy with my situation. I, I, I can't say that I... To, to rewind the tape back to when I played hockey, back when I was a young kid, I loved the game. I just happened to be pretty good at it. So I made to another team, made to another team. Then I hear about the OHL and the Sioux Greyhounds. I don't know much about it, but sure enough, don't I get selected there? I have a great career there. Next thing you know, I hear about the Olympic team. That's not my, my goal. They're not even thinking about the National Hockey League. Boom, the Olympics come along. Next thing you know, the National Hockey League comes along. I'm just happy to get a taste and uh, and the excitement and the thrill of, of, even if I would have only had one game to say that I played a game in the, in the NHL was was almost enough for me. But if it could have if it could have gone farther, by all means. In today's game, I could have I could play – 600 games back then you got to remember there was no you you could hook the guy from center all the way in you cross check the six foot four guy in front of the net you you could get away with 10 cross checks before before there was a penalty so it took the skill away from right the type the type of player that i am so again you either you were really big back then or or you had skill as you get ready to leave, the Capitals are a little concerned about one player on the team specifically. He had just defected a few years earlier from the Czech Republic. Uh, Michael Pavonka is who I'm talking about. Yep. Did you hear anything or was he nervous prior to leaving? Because that's a big thing when you defect and now are heading back to the country for the first time. I, I honestly don't know too much about that. that that's a, that'd be a personal thing for, for himself. Um nothing was shared amongst the teammates or anything like that i'm sure if i was in his shoes it'd be a little bit little little bit nervous but again i can't i can't comment en- enough about that the team ends up catching a red eye over to sweden that first night to go ahead and leave and the training staff brings a load of supplies 600 packs of dried milk 600 juice drinks and a large stock of spaghetti you were quoted in the paper saying the food is awfully bland and disgusting in, in russia can we talk about the, the the basics? You get to Russia, is it hard, or Sweden, is it hard playing in a different country where the culture is so different? I wouldn't say it's hard. It's, it's different. Once you get to the rink and put your equipment on, everything's the same. It doesn't matter where you are. In terms of the maybe your food and your preparation and your hotels and things like that, yes, that, that is different. But once you put the skates on, then, then that doesn't matter. Prior to me being with the Olympic team, I had already been to Russia mm-hmm. and Europe for – Oh, I think seven or eight times I'd already been to Russia. So I, I knew what to expect, and I knew I had a better idea than a lot of these guys that had never been. And I, I kind of understood it a lot better. What I kind of picture, the Soviet Union in the 80s, and I'm dating myself here when I say this, and you might not have ever seen this movie, is the movie with Schwarzenegger called, I think it was Red Heat, where he comes over and he's like, I picture it just like dark and gray and like everybody's kind of sad. Is that Hollywood or is that really how it was? That is 100% correct. That is exactly how it is. Uh, you get to the rink. There is no anybody in a red jacket or a blue jacket. Everything is black and gray and almost um, military-like. Uh, not a lot of lights in the crowd. A lot of people smoking. Very dark. Very, you know, no advertising. Uh, very, very uh, subdued to what 
what what it is nowadays. It's very it's exactly like that. Any bad calls, anything, everybody's whistling. You know, to you don't boo the referee. Everybody whistles. It's very. It's that's exactly like how you described it. It, it was. The team finally arrives in Sweden for the first part of camp. So they're going to Sweden first, and then we're going to go over to three different cities in Russia. Uh, meanwhile, Don Beaupre back in North America is re-signed, so he's going to end up meeting you guys out there. But, um, you know, you guys have a 90-minute on-ice session to get things started. You're practicing and you're playing games. Was this trip a lot on your body? Um... I don't I really think so. When you're when you're a little bit younger and excited uh, to be there, and and you're you're representing the the Washington Capitals in the NHL, you, your adrenaline and, and emotions just sort of take over. Where you you don't admit that you're tired or fatigued or anything like that, but the the excitement of of being in Europe and 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 representing was was I don't know phenomenal. It just you, like like a peacock, you got your feathers all all puffed, and it was it was, a, it was an exciting time. John Drews and Byron Defoe evidently oversleep and get a lecture from Brian Murray. Have you ever been in a situation where you got in the doghouse like that? Not with Washington, but I did get a, li- a little bit with the Olympic team, which was a funny story because uh, again, Dave King, we were playing in Ottawa, we were playing the Russians. We had our pennants and different souvenirs, so it was a hotel where you had a, a bellhop or the guy that ran the elevator. So we were all going out that night, and Dave King, we had curfew, but of course we, we were out. So. He, Dave, he decides he's talking to the elevator. And how late are you? What's your hours now? He goes, well, I'm here from 11 till 7 in the morning. And, oh, you're Mr. King, Olympic team. And he asks for a couple souvenirs. So he gets a couple pennants. And he, I'd, love, I'd love to get them signed. He says, well, the guys who should be coming in anytime, by all means, um, you can get your autograph. So this gentleman's all excited. We come back to the hotel at either 2 or 3 in the morning. And we're, again, uh, excited. People are checking. Anybody there? Anybody? No, no, no. Everything looks good. We get to the elevator. Again, the gentleman's there, all excited. Are you guys with the Olympic team? Yeah, yeah. Would you mind signing this for me? No problem. We autograph all this. So now breakfast is 8 in the morning the next day. Well, Dave King, he used to like to go for a run at 6 in the morning. So sure enough, the gentleman's still working his ship. He sees Dave in the elevator. He goes to him, oh, I got some autographs. It was great. Oh, let me see. Blah, 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 blah. Beautiful. Next thing we get for breakfast at 8 o'clock, we got this pennant sitting right up on the front. We're like, oh, oh, uh oh. Don't we find out later how everything went down, who was late for curfew, and, and, and there's a little repercussion there, but it, that was a that was a funny situation that, that, that took care. It was, a, it was a smart one, and we fell for it. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. He, uh, we talked about John Drews. Is there a story or anything? I think you guys were pretty close, correct? Yes, yes. The the, the one of the funny ones with, with Johnny, Johnny, had he, again, he was similar to me. He was one of the top forwards, so he gets called up, and he's – He's doing well. A couple goals, a couple assists. He's he's in the lineup. Things are really good. So I get called up close to Christmas time, and uh, sure enough, we're playing Toronto, and I think it was about December 20th, 21st, one of our last games. Well, don't I twist my ankle, and, and I snap my ankle, Oof. and, and uh, it's a broken ankle. So this is in the first period. I go to get my x-rays, come back near the end of the game, and, and it's broken. So, and when you think about it in in bad luck, that you'd say, "Oh man, that's terrible." But when you get called up from from the minors, you get you get prorated. You're you know you mm-hmm. if you're yeah. up five days, that's how it all works. 
So now they come in, and, and Johnny's like, he's really excited. I go, why, why, why? He goes, Fila, you broke your ankle. That's at least two or three months of big-time pay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's so true. Right. No, goes, absolutely. Oh, I, 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 bought a, I bought a new Harley Davidson after with my broken ankle. It was, it was fantastic. So, again, I'm getting a cast, getting all out. You know, my wife, my, I don't know if we were married or my fiance. She's there and up into the wife's room because they've already changed. I'm getting the cast put on. And, and he tells her, yeah, I feel I broke it. She's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's broken. Oh, and she's like, oh, my God, that's terrible. No, no, you're getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh that was a good time back on the back <laughs> on the tour in sweden you guys were planning on practicing a lot and the nhl pa actually gets into it with the nhl and practices are shortened down to two hours and 50 minutes due to nhl pa laws and this was a first time thing i mean the nhl pa is kind of really coming in into its own and around this time there's a lot of discussion with alan eagleson you are focused on your career so I- i'm sure you don't know the details as the guy that ran the NHLPA, how do you think Alan Eagleson did? Well, not knowing of of later on, I, I thought he did. I, I was thinking he did a great job. You know, he was with the Russians and everything like that. He, here's a guy that that you have representing uh, all the players, and from your Bobby Orr's to your your big stars, that you you relied on on all those guys. If if they're if it's he's good enough for them, he's good enough for me. I'm just a small uh, boat in the water. I don't have I don't have any say. Later on, when you find out about what what he actually did and how things turned out then you become a little bit disappointed but back then he was he's your go-to guy who you can't argue uh, against alan eagleson over in sweden you guys play your first game the capitals win two exhibition games against the swedish elite league teams during the first game former teammate bent gustason who's decided to return home to play plays in that first game let's talk about bent a little bit did you ever get to know him while you were in washington I, I did a little bit. Um, uh, again, a great guy. Uh, he was a leader. Um, again, coming back from an Olympic team where I, I played a lot in, in Sweden and Switzerland and all over Europe, he was he was well recognized and uh, and and to be able to so now to come and play with him in Washington and and to watch and respect your older guys and your veteran guys. Ben was it was it was a great player, and it's funny because everybody back in the days was wearing super tax and Bauer skate. Bent wore the plastic Lang uh, kind of a boot that had a ski boot thing. So when you when you after the game you took these liners out and had them all dried, and so it was very very weird to see that uh, <laughs> situation for a European. Something you don't see every day. No, no, he was the only guy to wear these skates. But when you're when you're on the top line and you're producing goals and assists, you can wear pink skates if you want for all I care, as long as you get the job done. You guys play a second game in Sweden. And we talked about this was nothing new to you. You'd been over there before, but you had been playing in North America the previous year. How hard is it to adjust to that European game after playing in North America? Um, not too bad. The biggest thing is the size of the ice over there. It's uh, you really you, that's where your skills are going to take over. When you go back to the Boston Garden and a lot of the smaller rinks where it's just bump and grind, dump it in and try and run the guy over. You know, that, that's not as much. Now, that's why the European game is so skilled because the game is so big that the puck moves faster than any player can. So you either have the skill or you don't have the skills to, to make that happen. And I, I again, when I was with the Olympic team, that's all we did. We played on the big ice. You had to be, be able to play. So I, I, I like that. That was, that was more of my style of play. 
Did you ever play with any of the big four while you were over there? We talked about Langway, Stevens, Hatcher. Did you play with any of those guys? Yeah, actually, Rod was usually my partner for, for most of that. I played a little bit with Scotty, too. They were both left-handed shots, and the other two were right-handed. But played most of my time when I was up with, with Rod. How was Rod to play with? He's a kind of a guy that we don't really hear much about nowadays. But at the time, he was a Norris Trophy winner. He kind of kept hockey in Washington. What was he like? Uh, Rod was a great guy, great leader. Uh, you had, you respected him, admired where he'd been to, to, to be able to crack the the league at uh, at 18 years old or whatever it was in Montreal to play for the Canadians because they had a lot of French kids that they, they really picked up on. So for Rod to be able to play there and then to come to Washington, you when Rod spoke, you kind of listened. And Rod Rod liked the young guys. You know how Roddy. Roddy's been around the game a lot. We had we had a few like clicks. We had the European click. We had the older guys click, your Kelly Millers, your uh, Mike Ridley, those kind of guys. Then we had the young guys. Well, Rod was one of the older guys, but he couldn't wait to go out with Johnny, Ivan Corvo, myself, the young guys, and go and, 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 and enjoy it. I was always fascinated by him because as a defenseman, I felt like he didn't really do anything flashy, but he was just always there. Does that make sense? What? Oh yeah, that that's the way Rod played. Like it's funny when you when you come from the American League and the other leagues where uh, you you have to do so much to to get recognized and to be able to play. Rod was the basic hard nosed defenseman, off the face off, down to their end, back to our end, dumped in the corner. Rod took his man out, rode him hard. Centerman came, picked up the puck, moved it out of our end, and we changed. That's all Rod. So he never did anything wrong, never got scored on, but was totally solid how he played the game. Always made the right decision, the right perfect pass, stayed on 30 seconds, change. Boom. Never get yourself in trouble. That's how he, That's why his career would last it so long. The team arrived in Russia, and you guys are camped out at a hotel called the Cosmos. We've talked a little bit about the hockey, but did you have an opportunity to check out the Soviet Union as a team and, and tour anything? Well, well, we did too a little bit. They they took you where you want to see. We went to a few castles and a few museums and the scene there. But again, it's the city and the people. Everything is exactly the same in a great type of type of lifestyle that they live. You weren't you weren't going in North America, going to the West Edmonton Mall and going to all these fancy places. It was it was very historical that. It was really nice to see, but again, sort of interesting, sort of not. Uh, this is where the, the, the king and queen live. This is the palace of this guy. Great, great uh, old school uh, tourism, but, but not, I don't know, not North American kind of thing. If you take nothing else from this interview, remember this. It's true. You can learn things from Hollywood. It turns out that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Red Heat was a true story, and the Soviet Union was really like that. Okay, okay, okay. It wasn't really a true story. That's a stretch. But at least Chris confirmed to me that the Soviet Union was dark and gray, just like in that movie. Really enjoyed interviewing Chris. I can't wait for you guys to hear part two of his interview on Thursday at 8 a.m. He tells a great story about a lot of the Capitol's wives getting detained. In the meantime, have a great week. We'll see you on Thursday at 8 a.m. for our next episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.